Have a seat. Happy Easter to all of you here. So grateful uh, that you are with us today and celebrating Easter with us. Uh, what a great, beautiful day it is. But I want to talk about something that I think all of us either have dealt with or will deal with sometime in our life. C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. He says, the death of a loved one is an amputation. Her absence is like the sky spread over everything. If you've ever lost somebody, whether it was a spouse like C.S. Lewis did, his wife Joy passed away of cancer, this was how he felt. If you've ever lost somebody, you know that this is what it feels like. It feels like a piece of you is gone. It feels like it's just spread over your whole life, no matter where you go, just like how the sky spreads everything out, so too does it feel like the grief is just everywhere. It's kind of a metaphor even for the pain and suffering that we go through as well. It feels never-ending. It feels like everything is wrong and nothing is going to stop the pain in our lives. That's the thing even today. I know some of you may not believe in God and, and you're here because someone asked you to come and that's great. But I think what we can agree on today is pain and suffering and death is something that all of us go through. And it's hard to fathom the damage that it does to our minds and especially our hearts. The gospel writer John, he was a biographer of Jesus, seeing what Jesus has done and wrote about that, wrote about a family who too went through a really difficult time. We read this in John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were a close family, and not only were they close with each other, they were close with their friend Jesus. And Jesus, he was off doing ministry, not being there when Lazarus was sick. And so Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to know that he was sick. And so we read in verse 3. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. Now Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick. And he understands that this sickness is going to end, unfortunately, in death. And what's so incredible about Jesus' insight on this is that he can see beyond the death of Lazarus into something more. In fact, a few verses later, in verse 14 through 15, he says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there for now. You will really believe. So come, let's go and see him. He's saying, look, I, I know Lazarus is dead, but there's something more that's going to happen. And spoiler alert, if you don't know the story, actually, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to live again. But for Mary and Martha, they don't know that. All they see is that their brother is gone. Jesus' friend is gone. And how are they supposed to process this? How do we process it? Jesus is going to approach Mary and Martha and say something different to them. But for us, both of what Jesus says is exactly what we can expect to happen when we face death of a loved one or suffering and pain for ourselves. 
So he approaches the first sister, Mary, and this is what happens. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear the realness, the rawness of those words? I love scripture does not scrub out the emotions, the pain of what they're going through. She's literally saying, where were you when I needed you the most? You knew Lazarus was sick. And now he's gone. Where were you when I needed you? When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. I know a lot of you in this room, I don't know everybody, but I know for many of you, you have lost somebody. You've lost a child, a grandchild, or a parent, or a sibling, a close friend. And when you're going through that pain, there are people that want to come and surround you and help you. And, or if maybe you're trying to surround someone that's going through something. And if you're like me, and I do funerals for a living... I don't always know what to say to people in grief. And so when you're going to approach them or you're trying to help them before or after the funeral, oftentimes we say something like this, right? Hey, don't worry, time heals all wounds. Or they're in a better place. Or hey, let me know if you need anything. These are things that we say. But what's so hard is when you're going through pain, you're going through grief, you're going through the loss of somebody, these are just cheap cliches and empty platitudes that when people say it, they mean well, but they don't help. If you've ever lost somebody and you're still processing through that, you know time helps, but time doesn't heal all of your wounds. That person was a part of your life. And that person isn't coming back. And so while it may not be as hurtful and as strong as it is when that person dies, your grief is still there. Or someone, you know, they say to you, hey, let me know if you need anything. Well, to the person who is going through something, they may need something, but they're not going to reach out to you. You see, we say these things because we want to make it feel better for ourselves because we don't know what to say. And it, it really hurts. And so what people need isn't just something that we say. They need something much more than we can give them. They need something that Jesus can give them. And that's why in our pain, Jesus, he gives us his presence. The shortest verse in the Bible is three words. Then Jesus wept. And though it's the shortest in all the scriptures, it may be one of the most profound. Because think of it this way. God of the universe comes down as human form. And he has a lot of things he could be doing, like running the world. And yet at that moment, he puts his arm around Mary and he looks at the loss of her brother and his friend and he doesn't just say, hey, let me know if you need anything. He doesn't say, hey, they're in a better place or hey, time heals all wounds. He weeps and cries with her. 
It's the greatest gift that you can give someone is to know that someone is in the boat with you. And they're weeping. And our God is so close, so present. He literally cries tears of grief and sorrow. I think he does that to show us how near he really is. But I also think he does that to give us permission. I don't know about you, but I know when I'm going through something, I'm supposed to put a smile on my face and fake it and act like everything is okay. And I think that's probably more of a guy thing oftentimes than maybe a girl thing. And oftentimes we don't think we can cry or show emotion or we need to be strong for these other people. And here comes Jesus who personifies humanness, who personifies manhood, and he weeps to say, listen, you don't have to be strong. If the God of the universe can weep, so can you. And not only does he give us permission, he shows us he is there. That's the greatest gift that we can have during our greatest pain and sorrow. The psalmist puts it so beautifully. He says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He doesn't mean the Lord isn't near when life is good and life is okay. He is near. But God can empathize with us so much that when we are going through pain, he is so close that we can almost feel and put his arm around our shoulders and weep with us. Jesus wept and he weeps. The psalmist in Psalm 56 puts it this way, you track all of my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. I can't help but think of somebody who goes home and shuts the door and no one knows it, but they're just crying. They're wailing. They have this sorrow that they just express openly because no one else is there. But when they're opening themselves up, they also feel so lonely because no one is there when they need someone the most. And it's almost like God says, no, 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 you're not alone. Every tear that you cry does not go unnoticed. I see them all. I track them all. I am right there with you. Jesus wept and he weeps. He is so close that you can literally feel him putting his arm around you and say, I'm here with you. But did you notice, as he's talking to Mary, he doesn't just show emotion in that he was sad. There's another emotion that he expresses. It literally says a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Here's Jesus seeing Lazarus. He has died and not only does he weep, he gets angry. Why is he so angry? The same reason you and I get angry when someone dies. We tell ourselves it's not supposed to be this way and you're right. Death is foreign to all of us, even though we know it's going to happen. Every relationship is going to end in death. We know our lives are going to end that way. We still don't get used to hearing that someone that we love is gone. Whether it's an eight-year-old child, or whether it's an 80-year-old grandparent that's been there for us our whole lives, when you hear that someone is gone, You can't help but get angry that they're not with you anymore. That's not supposed to be this way. The other day I was in my office working on some things and my phone rang and it was my mom. My mom knows my work hours and she knows like if I'm at work, just text me and get back to you. And yet she called and when mom calls, you know it's not good. I answered the phone. My mom said, Eric, your cousin Michael, he overdosed and he died. I'm 37. Michael 
was 37, born 10 days earlier than me. Had a lot of trials, a lot of sorrows. Made a comeback in just one time. Obviously, he's gone now. When you hear that your cousin, the same age as you, he's, he's gone, I, I, I wept, I'm sad, but I'm angry. Why does this happen? Jesus is angry. Why does this happen? Because it's not supposed to end this way. You go back in time and you see how things were formed. You see that God created all things and it was good. All of us were at peace with the universe, peace with God. Everything was as it should be. And we humans, we like that God is our creator. We like that we have life and that we live in such a beautiful uh, earth. And he cares for everything and he's created all things great. But when it comes to him being in charge, well, we don't like that. And so we say, God, God, you can be our creator, but we don't want you to be in control. And so humanity says, God, I'll take it from here. And God says to us, I don't think you really want that. I know that's what you think you want, but I don't think that's what you really want. And we as humans say, we do, actually. And because love can't be forced on somebody, God says, fine, have it your way. Fortunately, there comes consequences. Peace gave way to chaos. Light gave way to darkness. Life ends in death. The death of our loved ones, our death. Jesus is angry about it. It's not supposed to end this way. But Jesus, he could have said, hey, I told you guys this would happen. Figure out a solution. But he says, I am not going to allow you to live without hope. My anger is going to lead to action. We need Jesus there for us in our darkest times, but we need more than that. We need to know that this isn't the end. And that's why Jesus, in our pain, doesn't just give us his presence. He doesn't just weep with us. He gives us a promise, hope, that there is a future beyond the grave. Which brings us to our interaction with Jesus and Martha, the other sister. He doesn't weep with her. He doesn't get angry he does something. Action when it comes to this. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone believes in me will live even after dying. Just pause and take that in. We always hear, hey, death is the end. Jesus is like it was. I know you think death is undefeated, and it is, but I'm just telling you, if you trust me, after the fact, death doesn't win, I do. He goes on to say, everyone who believes in me, lives in me, will never die. And then he looks Martha in the eye, and he makes it personal. He says, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Up until that point, death is undefeated. No one no matter how much money you have, no matter how much power you have, no matter what you look like, it doesn't matter. Death always wins. And death took its best crack at Jesus. That's what we celebrated two days ago on Good Friday. 
Jesus hanging on the cross, taking on our sin, our shame, our guilt, death itself, one on one. And in that moment, Jesus took his last breath and death said, aha, I have another victim. Jesus dies. He is buried in the grave. And everyone who heard Jesus talk about life after the grave laughed because this lunatic said something that no one can get away from. You can never get away from death. Death always wins until it didn't. Jesus said death isn't undefeated anymore. It was. But now it has one loss. Jesus came out of the grave and left death behind, which means that we too can leave death behind and that we can live because Jesus lives. That Sunday morning, these women were going to see Jesus, thought he was still dead. They end up interacting with an angel. I love how the gospel writer Luke puts it. The women were terrified and bowed down with their faces to the ground. They were freaking out. These angels came to them and they started to talk with them. You and I would be freaking out too. But these angels had an interesting message. It says, the men said, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here anymore. He is risen from the dead. He said, hey, don't you remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. They discovered that they thought death one, but Jesus defeated death. Game over. It is finished once and for all. And what I love about that is when you see the empty tomb, there's so many meaning, there's so much meaning behind it. But let me give you something I hope you really hear on this Easter. That the empty tomb guarantees, promises us that we don't have to live an empty life. Because the empty grave, yes, it signifies the defeat over death that when we die someday, we can live. I like that. But what about this world now? This world is hard. This world promises a lot that it doesn't end up guaranteeing. It doesn't fulfill it. And we put our hope and promise in people. We put it in our careers. We put it in our looks. We put it in so many things. And it just slips through our fingers. And Jesus is like, look, I overcame death, not just death in the afterlife, but a dead life now so that you can live with hope, with promise, with meaning, with peace. Things you can't buy, I will give you if you believe that what I did happened and you trust in what I've done. So for the next few moments, I just want us to reflect on those words together. You can just be seated and you can sing along, but reflect upon what could it mean that the empty grave signifies a life that doesn't have to live empty.
salvation in my song. I found it all. I found it all in you. I found it all. I found it all in you. Everything I ever want, everything I'll ever need, I found it all. I found it all in you. Christ the gift and Christ the Love is not something that can be forced upon you. We know that it must be received and it must be given. Well, Jesus says, I've given you love. Now, what do you believe? Will you receive that? That's a decision that we all get to make. Just like he said, Martha, do you believe? He looks at us and says the same thing. In 2019, everything changed for the Bender family, a family that attends our Sandusky campus. Out of nowhere, Leanna began to experience an irregular heartbeat and lightheadedness. She went through extensive testing, but the doctors couldn't find anything. So she was end up referred to the Cleveland Clinic. Obviously, Leanna was scared. Not only was she scared because of the problems she had, but her mom had recently had a heart attack and also had heart issues, and she was afraid, is this going to be her life as well? She was angry with God. She cried out to God, God, how could you do this to my mom? How could you do this to my family and me? She became so desperate that she wanted to have a high-risk surgery. Her husband, Nathan, disagreed with the choice. And because of that, it led to strife in their marriage. Unfortunately, Nathan was right. The doctor that was performing the surgery accidentally perforated her heart causing Leanna to almost die. She spent a lengthy amount of time in the ICU, causing her to feel more alone and helpless than ever before. Throughout the next couple of years, Leanna was extremely sick and was in and out of the hospital. She couldn't breathe. She was mostly on bed rest. She was alive and functioning, but barely. It caused her to sink into a deep depression. On August 21st, 2022 she was at her lowest moment she was so desperate that she began to say goodbye to everyone including writing letters to her own kids I'll never forget that day she wrote me a goodbye note and tried to interact with her and it just wasn't going well and I didn't know what would happen in her desperation she tried one more time and she called the doctor and explained again her conditions and begged for him to approve open heart surgery 
And as though she hit rock bottom, somehow he said yes. It was the first glimpse of hope she'd had in three years. A month later, September, Leanna had open heart surgery and it was the beginning of her new life. She says for the first time in 40 years, she felt alive, that this fog that had loomed heavy over her life had been lifted. And it wasn't just because of what happened physically. She said for the first time ever, her soul was satisfied and she wasn't searching for something more like she did for her entire life. Before her experience, she would tell you that she believed in Jesus, but she just went through the motions. It wasn't until she experienced the presence of Jesus and the promise of hope in Jesus in her lowest moments that things changed forever for her. And now, if you know Leanna, she tells everybody, and I mean everybody, about how God saved her life. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. Here's Leanna six months after open heart surgery. Surprisingly, she told me this, and I had to ask her again, are you sure? She said, I would do it all again if I could have what I have now. Leanna's story is evidence of a promise. The empty tomb promises us that we don't have to live an empty life. Now, I know what you're saying. Some of you say, that's an incredible story, but I don't have that same story. My loved one died, or my cancer's still there, and that's something that I don't know what, how to explain those things. It's outside of my pay grade. But what I do know is you can control one thing, is how you end up believing and trusting in what Jesus wants for you. Because healing, that can come after you die, but why not live a life of meaning and purpose here? The empty tomb guarantees that you and I don't have to live an empty life. So as we close our service together, would you stand and just sing with us this last part?